Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 81st episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How you doing, Jill? I'm good. How are you? I'm having a great day. It's very cold here in Cleveland, though. It's it very cold so here in Cleveland. I... I was at the point, I actually tweeted earlier, like, I went in uh, the, we have those really warm hand dryer yep. things. I went into the men's restroom today specifically just to, like, warm my hands up. I walked in just, like, put my hands on there for, like, 30 seconds, just trying to get feeling back in my hands because typing was hard. I can't even, okay. I know. I'm sorry. It was, I was honest. It was, my hands were cold. I know. That's all. It's okay. Uh, it's not a podcast if I'm not awkward. So. <laughs> yep. Transition. <laughs> you want to know what this episode's about? I do. That would be great. Sure. Let's get away from uh, Adam and bathroom talk. So today's podcast is an interview with Robin Carr, who is the Rita Award winning number one New York Times bestselling author of more than 40 novels. She wrote the critically acclaimed Virgin River series, uh, and she actually won the Romance Writers of America's Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award uh, this past year. She's kind of a big deal. She's a really big deal, and it was really cool to get to talk to her. And not only is she uh, very famous in the romance world, and she's um, incredibly you know, well-known and, and really, said, really popular, she is a machine when it comes to writing books. Like If you go to her Overdrive.com page, there's multiple books from each year. It's like 2016, 2016, 2016, and she just... It was really fun to talk to her about how she does that, how mm-hmm. she's able to write so quickly as and continue to be entertaining. And uh, because she's done a couple different long series, we talked about if she knows when she's going to end those, when she starts talking about them or when she starts writing them um, or if she just kind of goes until she runs out of stories. And um, yeah, it was really it was really cool. I, we've talked to the, about this before. I, I don't read romance personally, so mm-hmm. I love getting to talk to people who uh, write in genres that I don't know much about. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's really cool. So I think people will really enjoy this. And if you read romance at all, you definitely know the name Robin Carr. Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't even read a lot of romance and I know the name Robin Carr. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she's, she's really cool. I, I just, it's nice getting to talk to these people who continuously are down to earth and yeah. uh, chatty and, and wonderful. So yeah. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, where can they do that? They can find us on Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. and email us directly at feedback at overdrive.com. Yes, they can. Um, anything that you want to check uh, talk about before we let them listen to this interview? I don't think so. Okay, just wouldn't be an episode if I didn't ask. I know. So, all right, I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by Robin Carr, who, to put it simply, is one of the most well-known and successful romance writers in the world. Her books have sold over 27 million copies and have been translated into 19 different languages. This year, she was the recipient of the Romance Writers of America's Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement Award. She is perhaps best known for her 20-book 
Virgin River series and Thunder Point series, and this year she released the first title of her Sullivan Crossing series, What We Find. Robin, that's a lot of things. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So you've written all of these incredibly popular and wonderful books, but the one that we're featuring as a part of our holiday spectacular is What We Find. So if you wouldn't mind, could you give our readers a brief introduction to this story? Well, um, if the setting is a family-friendly campground in Colorado in the Rockies at a point where, um, fictionally, the Continental Divide Trail crosses the Colorado Trail. The Continental Divide Trail is a long-distance trail that spans, I believe, 3,500 miles. And the Colorado Trail is a 200-mile trail, and this is frequented by long-distance hikers. So in this campground, we meet um, the daughter of the owner, Maggie Sullivan, who is a neurosurgeon, and uh, also meet um, a, a, um, a camper who seems to just not be in a big hurry to leave, and his name is Cal Jones. So, um, so that's the setting. That's what we have it. It's a, it's a love story adventure, and I don't know what else to say about it, <laughs> except, except you're going to love it. It's, um, uh, Cal Jones is probably the best book boyfriend I've ever created. <laughs> I mean, for people who are familiar with your work, I think that's probably all that you need to tell them at this point is just, you know, what the setting is, and I, I think they can probably go from there. Um, you can, you can go from there, and it'll really, um, it'll really be fun for you. And it's the first book in the series, so a lot of these characters are anchor characters: Maggie Sullivan and her father Sully. Um, you'll be seeing again and again, and uh, and Cal Jones will be around in the future too. And that's actually that's why I'm really excited that uh, we're talking a little bit about what we find because you've written so many books that this this felt like a nice place for people to be able to start because it is the first book of a series. Um, and then speaking of your all the different series that you have, I'm always curious when I talk to people who have written multiple series like this. You you know you wrote twenty different books for the the Virgin River series and you have the Thunder Point series. So when you go into creating a, a new series of books like this. Do you have a set number of stories you think you want to tell in that universe, or is it just kind of you write until it feels like it's time for you to move on? You know, I'll give you an example. When I was writing Virgin River, I was planning to write one book about a midwife and a local retired Marine, or they like to say Marines never retire, but he served his 20, and he's a bar owner, and that's what I intended to do. And by the time his Marine buddies visited him in Virgin River for hunting and poker and all those manly man things, um, (laughs) I realized that I could write way more than one book, and I planned on four, but they just... (laughs) They just kept coming. Um, I don't have a set number of stories in mind. When I started Sullivan's Crossing, I thought, well, we're good for at least three. <laughs> um, so do, do your readers ever kind of beg you to go back to a certain series and say, like, you know what, I really would love some more, some more books in, uh, you know, in, in, some, in another world that you've been writing. I really miss those. Do, do you get people that ask you those every, questions? Every single day. <laughs> 
and, and, you, and you want to say, haven't I answered this question? <laughs> I've answered this question. I think 20 in Virgin River ought to do it. The thing that really is interesting to me is the number of people that want to just want us to just go back and check on those people and see how they're doing. And I try to very carefully explain that that is not a novel. That is a photo album. <laughs> I mean, you don't, we don't write books about people who have achieved their happily ever after and are having very lovely ho-hum lives. Well, and I have to say, you have treated your readers incredibly well because a lot of writers who are considered prolific might have one book a year at most and you're providing multiple stories to them so i don't think people have too much to complain about when it comes to the amount of content you're providing them well that hasn't stopped them (laughs) (laughs) well you know we we readers always do want more but i suppose you know it's better than you know waiting for like george r r martin to write a book for 10 years you're giving people plenty of things to keep them busy so i i think you're doing very flattered really i am i'm not complaining it's better to have it that way than have them say man she should have quit while she was ahead So you've based your series in you know California and Oregon and, and now Colorado, among other locations. Um, a lot of popular authors tend to stick to one location, you know, like Nicholas Sparks or Stephen King. They always seem to stay in one city or one area. And I know you moved around a lot because of your husband's military background. So are all these different places locations you've lived in or just places you have an affinity towards or just places that would work for your stories? I've only lived in California, and mostly uh, I just love the mountains and the trees. I live in the desert. It's very brown. I really, I really sometimes lust. The desert can be a beautiful place, but there are times I just lust, lust after big, tall trees and, you know, all of that stuff. So it works for me. And you know what else works for me? I look for places that are not cute. They're rugged. It, you know, it takes, it takes grit to live there, to carve out a life there. And that, and that's more interesting in a small town drama than a cute little picket fence town. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So are these places that you've kind of, you know, visited locations similar to them, at least, or are you just... Oh, yeah, I've, got, I've had to go there. In fact, um, when I was writing Virgin River, I first did a series called the Grace Valley Series, and the setting was in um, Mendocino County. And so I thought, for the next series, I thought, well, just head a little bit north of that and um, and do a new series set in Humboldt County. And, and so I wrote two books before I even you know, tried to market them or sell them anyplace. And then I thought, maybe I better have a closer look. So a friend of mine and I drove to Humboldt County, and we drove from the middle of California, the Red Bluff area, straight across Highway 36 to the coast, and it looked on the map like it was um, a a two-hour drive, (laughs) like, you know, like it was maybe 90 miles. And it, it turned out that it took us hours and hours and hours to get across the state. It was so rugged, so remote, so far removed from everything. I had to go back to page one and completely redo everything. It was awesome. I mean, I found a whole new setting. 
That's that's amazing. And speaking of kind of going back and rewriting and, and writing all of these stories, and I'm going to apologize in advance. I know this is a very generic question to ask authors, but I'm curious about your writing process because, like I said, a lot of people might write one book a year at most, and they talk about you know getting there somewhere between you know seventy to a hundred thousand words. But you're you're providing multiple books a year to your to your readers. So do you keep yourself on like a daily word count, or do you think of writing as like a nine to five job? I guess just would you mind taking us through how you are able to create so much content? Well, I'm not at all. I'll be happy to. And and it's one of my favorite questions. I used to interview authors at the library in front of a live audience, and, and one of my favorite questions to ask them was, what is your process? Because they, they're so varied and so different. But um, it, you know the term plotter and panther? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm a panster. <laughs> I love flying by the seat of my pants. I start on page one and I just go until I run out of steam or until I have to go back and redo everything. It's it's fun. It's as much fun for me to watch the characters evolve as it is for the reader to watch the characters evolve. And I think that I mean think I think I won't get this quote exactly right, but Stephen King said something like um uh, plotting ahead of time is like archaeology with a pickaxe. <laughs> I love all that. All the really good stuff comes with the fine strokes, you know? And, and, that's, and that's what I love about flying by the seat of my pants. So I get up every morning, I get coffee, and I go to work in my pajamas. If I have to get dressed, it's because I had a slight setback, you know? <laughs> Or somebody's coming by the house. Maybe that's a good reason to get dressed. But I, I just, I work all day. I start early and I stop for appointments. I stop for interviews. I stop to do chores here and there, run errands. But basically I work from about 7 till 6. It's it's so funny what you're talking about a uh, plotter or a pantser. We actually, we recently, um, we interviewed Lee Child and he said the exact same thing you did is, he sits down and he writes the first sentence of his story and then he goes from there and he kind of said the same thing you did. It's like he doesn't want to think in advance for his characters because he wants to put them into a... He specifically wants to write himself into a corner so he doesn't know how his character will get out and then figure it out from there. Do you ever worry, because you're not kind of plotting it out too far in advance, are you ever concerned that you're going to write yourself into a corner and just not know how to resolve an issue? Well, I mean, it does, that does come to mind, you know. <laughs> How are we going to get out of this one? I really like smart characters, and sometimes they're smarter than I am. That gets to be a problem. <laughs> but I, um, I, I imagine every single book I say, well, that's it. I'm out. I'm empty. I don't have a single idea. I'm done. I knew it would happen. Eventually, <laughs> it finally happened. And then two days later, I go back to it and say, oh, well, that's what can happen. <laughs> so, I, and again, I, I apologize for bouncing around. You have, you've done so much, so I want to try and cover as much as I can here in our, our little short time. But I saw something on your website that really fascinated me with the Virgin River series. There is actually an academic study done by two professors. Is that correct? That's correct. Can you beat that? That so that's I mean, amazing. Top that one. I mean, they talked. They talked about the uh, utopian atmosphere of Virgin River. I thought I was just writing about a friendly little town, you know, where people 
helps their neighbors because they have to. I mean, this is kind of the way it is in in small towns that are very remote. There are hundreds of little tiny towns with just a few hundred people in them in the mountains of Northern California. So how did that how did that come about? Did they kind of call you and say, hey, we, we've read your books? Or, I'm just curious how that actually started, because that's not something that would normally happen, no matter how successful books end up being. They did not call me. Um, the, the professor, one of the professors, the senior professor on the project, I believe he's a historian, um, uh, emailed me through my website and said, I just thought I'd let you know that my daughter, who is also a Ph.D., and I did a study, an academic study of Virgin River, would you like to see it? <laughs> I said, well, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, could you send that right along, please? Uh, <laughs> I mean, and I read it, and I thought, wow, they were really paying attention. They quoted all kinds of lines out of the book, and they attributed them to, uh, you know, a utopian environment. And I had said in several at several points in the Virgin River series that it, it operated a little like a commune at times. Because um, because people who didn't have health insurance, and most of them didn't have health insurance, um, would pay their doctor or midwife in produce. The, so and then the midwife, who's married to the bar owner, would take the produce across the street to the bar, <laughs> and it would be used for meals. Oh, man. And, uh, and somebody wrote to me at one point and said, man, the agricultural unions unions would have your head for that, <laughs> and, you know, the fishery unions would have your head for that. And I thought, you know, I bet, I bet the real live people of the real live Virgin River could give a rip. Yeah, they've got more They're things to worry about. They're just going to do it their way. Oh, you know? that's so funny. So um, something that I love asking every author I I talk to, you know, a big part of being a writer is obviously reading. So are there any authors out there, things that you read that you think inspire your writing or maybe some things that you read when you were younger? Well, I I do do very much love reading women's fiction and romance. That's my favorite genre to read in. But I'm really glad you asked that because um, I had a stack of books I had, I felt I had to read because they're very popular and and I, w- I wasn't having enough fun. So I decided that when I got to a point that I could stop or got bored or was finished, I would um, reread The Shell Seekers by Rosamund Pilcher. Uh-huh. Do you remember that book? I do, a little bit, yes. It was such a charming, wonderful, lovely book. And I started rereading it a few nights ago, and I've just been in heaven. It's it's just such a great, wonderful book. So um, that's something that inspired me. Another author that inspired me, because I love the way he constructs his books, is Pat Conroy. Mm-hmm. I was really... I've really been in love with Pat Conroy for a long time. And I remember early in my career reading John Irving a lot. Mm -hmm. The World According to Garp was one of my all-time favorites. So, you know, there have been some, there have been some great books along the lines that are considered popular literature or literature and not just romance, you know? And they're expansive. Their romance is much, much bigger than people give it credit for. That's such a good point, and you you touched on something that I 
we always stress, you know, with our readers being a digital library company. One of the nice things about eBooks is there's a there's privacy to it, and sometimes you don't want to let other people see what you're reading. But we always stress, you know, read whatever makes you happy. That's you know the biggest part of reading is that you should be enjoying it. And so I think there's sometimes this stigma that you know people will get embarrassed that they read romance, but I think. Exactly what you said. You should be reading things. Life's too short to be reading books that you don't enjoy. So I think that was perfectly oh, so said. Much. That's so true. Do you know who Nancy Pearl is? I do not. Nancy Pearl, I think of her as the Uber librarian. <laughs> For many, many years, she has um, been reviewing books on, um, on uh, not PBS, um, 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 uh, what NPR, mm-hmm. NPR, and other places, and she's written several books. Um, that contain book reviews. She will not waste her time or space or airtime on a book she can't recommend. That's... And I so admire that. That's if I were a reviewer, that's the kind of reviewer I would be. I think that's so perfect. I just I I you know because there are lots of times where I will start a book that I just am not enjoying and I'll I'll stop reading it and move to something else and I'll like for a moment I'll feel guilty and then I have to remind myself like no 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 it, you're reading to to enjoy what you want to enjoy so we are on the same page there yeah 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 she also says never continue to read a book that you're not enjoying if you're not enjoying it she says take your take your age and um, subtract 50 pages, and that's how far you should read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, okay, so something else that I really, really loved. I was watching your Nora Roberts Lifetime Achievement speech, which was fantastic, by the way. Um, Thank you. And so for maybe some aspiring writers who are listening, would you mind offering up uh, maybe some advice or inspiration to them? Because I just really loved when you were talking about going through rounds of rejections and then everything that you discussed it. So what would you tell to someone who is perhaps an aspiring or a struggling writer that are, that's listening in today? Well, things have changed an awful lot since I started writing um, 40 years ago. And, uh, um, and right now what we're seeing um, too much of, I think, is people focused on how, how much money they're going to make and how well they're going to sell and what is the best marketing campaign. People ask me all the time, people who have self-published their books, say, Robin, how do you break out? How do you break out? Well, as it turns out, the Rosalind Pilcher book that I just picked up to reread, The Shell Seekers, was a new edition about um, six or seven years ago, and there's a foreword written by her. And she said her publisher, Thomas Dunn, went to visit her in Scotland, and her grown children were all over him and said, why haven't you made her a bestseller yet? She's a really good writer. Why isn't she a bestseller yet? And he said, she hasn't delivered the goods yet. (laughs) And that's what it's all about. We don't know what makes a bestseller. I mean, sure, our publishers do a lot to help us and put us in the in the eye of the potential reader. But from that point on, it has to make a really strong emotional connection with a body of readers who won't stop talking about it. And that's what makes a bestseller. At the end of the day, no matter how much publicity and how much PR and how much how many book signings and how many ads <laughs> at the end of the day it's always word of mouth yeah. 
Okay, I have about a hundred more questions I want to ask you, but I know you're very busy and I want to be respectful of your time. But we end each of our podcast episodes with what we call the Nerd Nine. So these are just nine rapid fire questions. Not a lot of deep thought. These are very lighthearted. Um, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished? Oh, uh, The Lake House. What's your favorite place to read? I like to read in the evening in my family room and then in bed. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Like mine is spending way too much time on uh, Instagram posting pictures of my dogs. Um, When I can't think of the next line, I play solitaire. And I get caught all the time. (laughs) And it really makes me mad. I wish people would leave me alone. (laughs) Um, I know that you've been all over the place, but what's one... Uh, area you'd like to travel to that you have not yet been to? Oh, that I've not been to. Um, well, I guess I'd like to see the Basque region of Spain, the northern part of Spain. Nice. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Always Thanksgiving. It's all about gratitude and food and friends <laughs> and not about presents. I agree. Do you have a favorite movie? Yes, Love Actually. It's a good time to, have, to be watching Love Actually around the holidays. It is. We got to get it. We got to dig it out and do it again. <laughs> um, are you a cat person or a dog person? I am a dog person. I have a big old golden named Brody, and he's my best friend. Oh, that makes me so happy. Do you have a favorite food? Um, you know, no. I love, ev- I like sushi. I like everything. And then the last one, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Nora Ephron. That is a great answer. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Nice talking to you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW group void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus